Hey, New Life Gillette Church, we are thrilled you decided to listen to our teaching on your favorite podcast app. If you made a decision to follow Christ today, would you let us know by visiting yes.newlifegillette.com? Here is this week's teaching. Amen. Good morning. That was awesome. I almost forgot I was supposed to get up and preach. Got in the mood. Hey, let me say welcome to those of you who are watching on church307.com, to our friends over at the jail and at the prison, and those of you who are here in the room. uh, We are excited about today, and today's going to be a little bit weird, maybe a little bit less of a sermon and more of a class, a, a baptism class. We're in a series right now called Generous in Real Life. And today we are focusing on the in real life part, because today we are talking about baptism. And baptism is the way by which we demonstrate God's generosity in real life. God did the most generous thing anybody could possibly do. He left heaven to came and came to the world to die for us. That's generosity. And we demonstrate that generosity in real life, in tangible life, through the act of baptism. When we are buried with Christ under the water and we are raised to new life to demonstrate the act of love that he has for us. And so today we're going to talk about baptism. And I'd like to start by answering the question, why should we get baptized? And the answer to the question is the answer that I give my sons all the time when they ask me why. What do I say? Because dad said so, okay? Why should you get baptized? Because dad said so. God told us, like overtly in scripture, that we, if we are Christians, should get baptized. And I have a very clear goal today. I am running towards a finish line. And here's what it is. To make sure that every Christian adult here has been baptized. Have you been baptized? Because today, at the end of the service, I'm literally going to invite you to join those who are already planning to do so and get baptized. If you've not, it's time. Today, we got t-shirts and towels and you can take your shoes off. There's logistics to make this possible. We're gonna baptize people today. And I think there's some people sitting in the pews right now who need to begin the the process of praying for the courage to step up at the end of the service and come get baptized. I'd like to look at a passage uh, from of where Peter is standing in Jerusalem, preaching to a crowd, and he is just killing it. Like all his il- illustrations are on point. The crowd is listening. Everybody is emotionally moved. It says that Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Okay, I believe you're right, Peter. I'm convinced I'm in. I will give my life to Christ. So now what? What should I do? How do I actually, like in real life, how do I participate in this invitation that you are extending? Many of you have had this question. I became a Christian, so now what? Does that just mean I wait till heaven? What do I do in the meantime? Well, Peter, you should be interested in Peter's response. What should we do? What does Peter say? Peter replied, each of you 
must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. First, repent and believe. This is what justifies you. This is what makes it possible for you to be in relationship with God. Repent, stop thinking of life the way you did before, stop focusing on things of this earth, and set your mind on things above. It's just like when you get married. You make a decision up front. We're going to get married. And you go through a ceremony. But then the marriage, it's not the end of it, right? There are next steps you take. The, the wedding ceremony is not the end of the marriage. It's the beginning of the marriage. That's what it's like when we put our faith in Jesus. It's the beginning of a marriage. So what's the next step? Well, Peter tells them one of the next steps is to be baptized. So what is baptism? It's a command. More than a quarter of our church, we just recently surveyed you, more than a quarter of the adult Christians in our church have not been baptized. I'm not really okay with that. Now, I'm not judging anybody. I get it. There are circumstances. There's life things that have happened, and, and I'm, I'm not trying to judge anybody, but I'm also not okay with hearing that a quarter of the adult Christians in our church have not been baptized because not getting baptized is disobedience. It's rebellion against what God commanded us to do. So it's an easy solution to the problem. Get baptized. Do it. Step out. Don't wait. Don't put it off. So Peter continues. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm in. When we are united with God, it is like a marriage. This is why we use language like ask Jesus into your heart. It's marriage language. It's two people become one. It's a union. It's, a, it's two people totally united together in one being. When we are united with Christ, he becomes a part of us. We become one with him. His spirit dwells within us. And then Peter clarifies, he's talking to people 2,000 years ago, but he's like, and I'm not just saying this for you. I'm saying this for everybody. He says, this promise is to you, to your children, and to those far in the future. That's us. All who have been called by the Lord, called by the Lord, our God, called by the Lord. That's a marriage proposal. Will you be united with me? in marriage. Will you be my bride? This is why the church is called the bride of Christ. We are married to him. We are united with him. So what else is baptism? Baptism is a wedding ring. Is it a Beyonce song that's in everybody's head right now? I think it's Beyonce. <laughs> baptism doesn't save us just like a ring does not marry someone, right? What is baptism? It's a symbol of a marriage. It, it, the ring is a symbol that you are married. Baptism is a symbol that you are in relationship with God. The thief on the cross, he says, Jesus, remember me? Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Did the thief on the cross jump down off the cross and go get baptized to make that possible? No, baptism is not required for heaven, for a relationship with God. 
but it is a command. It's a testimony. Okay, what is true, what do we know about wedding rings? Well, they don't make people married. We've talked about that, but should my wife be worried if I don't wear my wedding ring? Yeah. Let's imagine I go, if I'm proposing to my wife and I walk up to her and I'm like, babe, let's get married. But can we keep it private? What would she say? I can't say what she would say because I can't cuss from the stage. No, we're not keeping our marriage private. She's like, can we just do it without the ring? No, we cannot do it without the ring. I need you to declare to all the other girls out there that you're in relationship with me. That we are exclusive. That's what this ring means. And that's what baptism means for us. Listen, you should know, world, I'm taken. I'm spoken for. I am in a relationship. And my loyalty is not going to be divided. I'm not going to be one foot in worshiping the world and one foot in worshiping God. I'm not going to spend part of my time worshiping Allah and part of my worship time worshiping God. I'm all in. I am in a monogamous relationship. That's what baptism is. Here's what else we know about wedding rings. Taking off a wedding ring does not end a marriage. Am I still married? Yes, I am still married. Now, if I do this too much, it could lead to the end of a marriage, right? It could show, what, what this is doing is it's showing that there might be something unhealthy about my marriage. We should do some investigation here to figure out, why don't you wear your ring when you go to work? Why don't you wear your ring when you go and, do, and hang out with your friends? What, let's investigate. Because it's proving that there is something unhealthy. Now, maybe the unhealthy is that I got too fat and it won't fit me anymore, still unhealthy. Let's do some investigation and figure out why not. We ask the same question about the baptism. Why not? If you are a Christian and you have not been baptized, why not? It's revealing that there is something unhealthy. One of the main questions that I get a lot when it comes to baptism is, should I get baptized again? And it's a very complicated question to answer. And so for many of you, it's going to be a different answer. But I am not one, and some pastors disagree with me, I am not one to just put a no on that statement all the time. I think there are many circumstances in which somebody should get baptized again. If somebody got baptized as a young person and then ran from God, rejected God, maybe chose a different religion or a different way, or, or they renounced their faith in God, if they turned their back on God, then I could see a scenario of getting baptized again. You are re remarrying. You are announcing a marriage to God. That's what baptism is. Or I could see if you were baptized in a different faith, in a different faith tradition or a different religion that also does baptisms, you were not in that moment testifying to relationship with the God that you know today. So that is not what we would call a baptism. So in both of these circumstances, I would say, yes, that, that is worth it. Because a lot, here's the problem with people who say that you should not get baptized again. They're still seeing baptism as a means for sin forgiveness. 
well, your sins have already been forgiven, so why would you need to be baptized again? Well, that's not the point of baptism. Jesus got baptized. Did Jesus need his sins to be forgiven? No, that is not the purpose of baptism. Jesus got baptized to make a testimony to the world, to announce to the world that something was changing, that a new life was beginning. In his case, it was proclaiming to the world that he was starting his public ministry. Up until this point, he did a lot of don't tell anybody what has happened here or private ministry, one-on-one ministry. And Jesus got baptized in order to announce to the world, hey, just to let you know, I'm him. That Messiah you're watching for, I'm him. Here I am. And so he was using baptism as a testimony. And that's what we're invited to do with baptism. Use it as a testimony. Don't have a private marriage, have a public marriage. Go public with it and announce to the world that you have a relationship with God. If the world doubts it, if you've given the world reason to believe that you are not in relationship with God, this is a great way to go public and tell people just to be clear. I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm not, I've screwed up. I know I've not only always demonstrated it with my actions, but here is how I want to tell you of who I truly am. My actions sometimes don't tell you, but let me tell you who I truly am through the act of baptism. Because here's what we know. If you divorce God, announce to the world that you have renewed your marriage vows. If someone divorces their spouse and then reunites with that spouse, then we encourage them to get remarried in order to be married. If you took off the ring, put it back on. I think these renewing our vows ceremonies are a beautiful thing because sometimes we need to clarify. I just want everybody to know I am still wholly committed to this relationship. Okay, what else is baptism? Baptism is a death and resurrection. The baptism waters are a tomb. And it's not because Paul holds people under too long. Although he does sometimes, maybe. So go to my tank. Now, the baptism waters are a way, Scripture tells us, for us to unify with Christ in his death, buried with him in his death, and raised to new life. We are united with him when we are baptized. That's why we use this symbol. The old self dies, and he gives us, he resurrects us. He gives us a new life, according to this promise. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout. Jesus is coming back. I hope you know this. With the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. So when he comes back, what's going to happen? It says, first, believers who have died will rise from their grave. Praise the Lord. That's big news for us Christians. Because those people who die apart from Christ do not have the promise of resurrection. They have the promise of eternal death. When you are united with Christ, when you are married to him, then you are given the gift of his resurrection. It's promised to you. When he returns, you will resurrect just as he did. This is important stuff. So can I keep laying it on thick? I've got more. I don't want to be too confrontational, but I really want to make sure you know how important I think this is. 
Because over the years, I've heard a lot of excuses why people don't want to get baptized. I like to wrestle with some of those excuses. One of them I hear a lot is, well, I was baptized as a kid. No, you weren't. I, I personally do not see baby baptism as baptism. Now, there is a ceremony there, and there's some powerful that we call it dedication, which I think much more accurately describes what is happening in that moment. A parent committing to raise their children in a Christian home. That is a valuable thing. However, that is not a believer's baptism. That is your parents sprinkling some water on your head, hoping that maybe it will keep you out of hell. That is not believer's baptism because as a baby, you didn't believe anything other than the fact that you were hungry and you wanted to eat. Believer's baptism requires you to believe. Some of us got baptized at a really young age and it was really just because you wanted to swim in the baptismal because that looked fun. Anybody else? That was me. But at some point, a believer's baptism says, I need to testify to my faith in Christ. I'm not following anybody else's instructions. I'm not doing it because of pressure. I'm not doing it because of some emotional moment. And I, I can't say no. I today need to testify that I believe, sacrificially believe in Jesus Christ. And my baptism is that testimony. And I just feel like there is a line, and I'm not going to set an age of accountability or say what age it is. I'm, I, we leave that up to parents. But there is a line at which somebody is able to say for themselves, I believe. For me, I don't think it was until college. Uh, for others, it's young, younger. But at some point, you have to get to the place where you know for yourself, you've investigated the, the other options, and you believe, you have decided to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Other people kind of use the opposite excuse and they say, well, I'm too old. And I get this one. You know, when I was 20 and one of my friends called me and was like, hey, Mike, you want to go? I'm like, yep. Well, I haven't even told you where we're going yet. I don't care. I'll, I, I want to go. I'll, I'll do whatever. I'll sell my apartment. I'll burn it down, whatever, dude, let's just go. I'm in for an adventure. But then you turn 30, right? And you're up to doing things, but you gotta ask some questions first. How late is it open? Is it loud? Who else is going to be there? Okay, I'll drive myself, but I'll go. I'm about to turn 40 this year. Mourn with me. I'm going to make it, but it's hard, okay? And I've noticed some, something. A 40-year-old reacts to an invitation a little bit differently than a 20-year-old. A 40-year-old gets a call, hey, you want to go? And she's like, nope. I haven't even told you where we're going. Don't care. Don't. I'm just, I'm in a stage of my life where I just say no. That's what I do. I just don't want to do other things other than what I have to absolutely have to do, right? That's just kind of life. The older you get, the less likely you are to be spontaneous. So for me to say, hey, you should come up and get wet in front of your whole church, that's a big ask, right? At, some, at a certain point in life. 
Well, guess what? That's the ask. I didn't make it up. I didn't come up with this. In fact, I've been doing some research into how John came up with this idea, and I don't even know where he came up with it. I've been saying stuff that wasn't even right. I can't even figure it out. But John said to do it. So we say, okay, we'll do it. We will obey. It's an ordinance of God. I obey God, so I will do it. Another excuse. It's cold. Yes, it is. Next excuse. I'll look dumb. I think you will look dumber standing before God saying you did not do what he told you to do because you didn't want your shirt to cling to your stomach after getting baptized. Another excuse, I'm not good enough. And I really get this one. Because the way a lot of people have talked about baptism is it's like a like the pinnacle, like you got to do the right things in order and you got to follow the right instructions. You got to do it the right ways. You got to believe the right stuff. You got to get all these things in order and then you can get baptized. That is not at all what we see in scripture of baptism. That, That line of people getting baptized by John the Baptist, they had not even met Jesus yet. They are getting baptized. That's John's baptism, and there's some transition that happens into Jesus' baptism. But the reality is, we believe in a God who gives us prevenient grace, grace that goes before, a God who forgives relentlessly, a God whose mercies are new every morning. God's grace is sufficient. He is not judging you for your actions if you are in a relationship with him. So why are you judging yourself? Because baptism is not dependent on whether or not you are good enough. Baptism is dependent upon whether or not he is good enough. It is his goodness that we are testifying to, not ours. I am not getting baptized so that I can come out of the world and say to the world, look how good I am. I am getting baptized so that I can come up and say to the world, look how good he is. It's a testimony, not of me, but of him. So are you good enough? No, but he is. And it's his goodness that we're worried about. So because we talk about not needing to be good enough, I do need to clarify that there are some things that the Bible says baptism requires of us. So what does baptism require of us? It requires repentance. It requires us to be forgiven of our sins, that we confess our sins to God that we change our way of thinking. We no longer are focused on and motivated by the things of this world. Instead, we are motivated, motivated by the things above. We repent, we turn from our old way of thinking, we change our mind and we focus on Christ. What else does baptism require? It requires obedience. This is what we've been talking about. Yes, is it a little bit uncomfortable and weird that Christians dunk themselves in water? Yes, it is weird, but it requires us to be obedient do what he tells us to do. Jesus had to walk 60 miles to his baptism. You will have to walk about 60 steps. Well, not even that, but I think you can do it. Don't shake the idea off. Don't resist it. Don't make an excuse. Choose to obey. Because the last thing that baptism requires is humility. Let's close today. I want to tell you a story from the Old Testament, strangely enough, of a guy named Naaman. We read the story in 2 Kings. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. 
Now, remember in this day, the soldiers, especially the leaders, were famous. They're like the athletes are today. Naaman is the Tom Brady of his day. So as I'm reading this story, just picture Tom Brady. I think it works on multiple levels. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. He's ill, he's sick. Elisha, the man of God, he's a prophet, said, have Tom Brady come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. Well, Naaman went to Elisha and Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, in the river, and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and sad. I thought that he would surely come out to me like a magician and stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God, wave his hands over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. That's what I envisioned him. Why didn't he do it my way? Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. What you have just witnessed is a rich person hissy fit. He was going to get what he wanted, but he wasn't going to get it the way he wanted to get it. He wanted it on his terms. He didn't want to dip in the dirty Jordan River. He wanted to dip in clean waters or he wanted Elisha to pull off a spectacle and draw a crowd and show how great Naaman is. Naaman wanted to be healed but his pride would not allow him to dip in dirty water. Naaman's servant went to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, like win a Super Bowl, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Obedience, humility. So are you ready? Are you ready to dip in the water, to announce your marriage to Christ with a ring, to unite with Christ in his death and resurrection?